1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. From the nation's capital, this is the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast, with your host, Rob Snowett.
2: This is the 287th episode of the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. My name is Rob Snow White. This episode is brought to you by Solo Stove A and features Mark Hopley from the Fly Fishing 97 Podcast. Mark recently had me on his show as a guest, and now it's his turn to be interviewed on my show. As the borders are currently closed, we had to do the podcast over the internets via Skype. We'll cover everything from chronomids to the meat sweats. We start off with Mark's podcast, then dive into fly fishing his local Canadian waters and his still water methods to catch the trout near where he lives. This winter, how do you plan to spend your long cold winter nights entertaining your friends and family? But We have plans to be around our solo stove bonfire pit a whole lot. If you look at the evolution of man chart from the missing link to an upright human, you can guarantee that every human used a basic fire pit from the knuckle dragging version Until the illustration shows the modern human of 2010 when the fire pit was redesigned by Solo Stove. We upgraded from our caveman era fire pit and so will you. Get them while supplies last as they're selling out fast with everyone else upgrading. Visit my website or links to my social media for a direct link. Every purchase you make through my link helps support my small business. Thank you very much. Mr. Mark Hopley, where are you right
3: now? I am sitting in my fly tying room on a cool day in the Okanagan Valley, British Columbia. So I'm, I'm actually situated in uh, Penticton, British Columbia. So we're just just north of the uh, U.S. border in, in B.C., Canada.
2: Okay. How far drive would it then be to the U.S. border?
3: Literally would take me 45 minutes. If oh, so I yeah, yeah. It's not. It's yeah. not far, and okay. I mean, most, most of Canada is right along the U.S. border, right? Yes, the most. that's what I hear. <laughs> uh,
2: do you have a celebrity doppelganger for those that may have not seen a picture of you before? Something they can picture <laughs> in their mind while we're speaking.
3: Wow, you got me on that not really when i had hair and you'll probably lose some listeners if i say it out loud but chad kroger when i had hair but now i got no hair so it's just me i I got nothing
2: that because he is as well a canadian
3: yeah he's from the same province well uh, yeah yeah he lives in lower mainland but uh like vancouver area i I really don't have a doppelganger anymore i would have said 10 years ago i did it's starting to turn gray and fall out so two 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 kids will do that and uh Lots of work, right?
2: Now, are your kids in school right now?
3: No, they're 19, so they're they're oh, actual you're... they're dancers. So they're they're in New York uh, City taking taking a dance uh, at a dance school, but now they're back here with COVID and all that. And they're they're what, actually teaching.
2: What kind of dance?
3: Oh, uh, they do they do ballet, they do they do hip hop, they do jazz, they do lyrical, you name it, just about Pretty anything. Cool. My neighbor's yeah. a professional ballerina, or wow. retired now teaches. Yeah, that's she's next a tall level. one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You get uh, into it. trust me as a dance dad. I watched a lot of that over the years, and you've got to be you got to be pretty dedicated. Did the amount of fishing
2: increase once the kids left the nest?
3: <laughs> you know what, it did, but now they're back, so it's like we're, I'm in, in a pattern. You're asking me at a wrong time of the year because I'm I'm a winemaker up here and and we're we're right in the middle of harvest so so right now is not my i kind of lost my fall fishing we'll get it back one day
2: what varieties are you growing
3: oh man uh <laughs> we grow a lot of bordeaux varietals up here so we have a lot of uh, merlot cabernet sauvignon cabernet franc petit verdot malbec uh and the whites we've got uh some burgundy and like some chardonnays we've got uh we've even got uh, pinot gris richard we do, it pretty much, you can name a grape, you can pretty much grow it in the Okanagan Valley, actually. Just due to the climate? We'll get into well, the climate later. Yeah, we've got a real microclimate here, so it is it's quite arid, and it gets really warm, so we have a lot of growing degree days. So I've been a winemaker at Hester Creek uh, Winery for uh, seven years now, so we're on the Golden Mall bench, so we're just, just, like I said, just north of the U.S. border, so you know how central Washington gets really dry and sagebrush and we get that heat. So we're, we're no different here. It's just, um, you get the rain shadow effect. Definitely get the rain shadow effect. And we also have a a large, large bodies of water at the bottom of the Valley. So we've got the Okanagan Lake, which is, you know, a hundred mile long Lake. And then we've got Skaha and Basaw and Suyus Lake, which goes right through the border. And we've got these beautiful benches that kind of rest, clay bluffs that sit above the the valley bottom so we don't get a lot of frost in the growing season so it it's really well suited to growing uh growing good uh wine grapes are your feet permanently stained purple (laughs) you kill me no no we have equipment for that now (laughs) you're not doing it like i love lucy well that's that's old school apparently that's coming back that's a little bit retro true foot stomping, but no, we... Uh, we have, you have to be uh, a
2: big barrel if you have to be six feet apart.
3: <laughs> That's right. Everything's six feet apart now. That's right. It's a good thing alcohol is a very um, clean solution. Yeah, I need to go load up. We've
2: got Halloween coming up this weekend, so I need,
3: I need to load oh, yeah. up on
2: beers and stuff for the adults
3: walking by. What's going to happen with Halloween? Have you put up one of these PVC shoots to the street, or what's going on there? So I have... 500
2: brown paper lunch bags i bought them for taking to fly fishing shows where i just tape the bag open under my vise, and then i can just knock all the junk in there so we're just going to fill those with a handful each of candy from costco we've already eaten half the bag nobody in the house will admit that they're eating the candy it's just gone there are no peanut m&ms in there there are no
3: reese's peanut butter cups what's your favorite did, are you an m and M? i'm
2: kind of good for the milky way not a big fan of m&m's i prefer what? the smarties by cadbury if we're gonna yep. go that shellac candy
3: mm, i like those peanut m&m's i'm
2: all over that yeah and we used to get them from costco and we'd keep them in the refrigerator so they were always kind of cold and not melty
3: <laughs> we were
2: serious about yeah. peanut m's back then thank goodness Ch- our kid is not allergic
3: I'm curious to see how it's going to go this year. I don't think we'll get a lot of kids, but you never know. You usually get the, the, the neighborhood faithful. It'll be interesting.
2: Yeah, we normally do fire pits on driveways, so we'll have the solo stove going. And my wife's going to take the kid around while I'm at home with the cooler and the paper bags. And once it gets dark, they put in really bright LEDs in our streets. You, you used to be pitch black out here, uh, which is bad hear? because the bear was spotted across the street yesterday.
3: Oh, well, yeah, yes. that time of year, they're coming down.
2: Not here. There, hmm. This is a, a rare thing to have this bear or bears in our neighborhood this year.
3: Well, I mean, uh, how far how far are you from from downtown DC? Are you you got to be away miles?
2: Maybe really? Yeah,
3: getting let's, getting see,
2: let's do crows nest to the Washington Monument. Let's see. Hmm. Uh, Washington Monument which I still have never been up in, 13 miles to the Washington Monument as the crow flies. Every time I talk to you, I'm blown away by the wildlife you get
3: so close to the urban center.
2: Yeah, we were out on a lake the other night, which is owned by Virginia, and it's a 24-hour boat ramp. And we were out there with the stealth craft, with the lights lit up, and all you could hear were owls, which Mm. was really strange, just owls all over the edges of the lake.
3: That's cool. Yeah, we well, get a lot of bald eagles down there, too.
2: Uh, they're, they're so we lose count. We have more ospreys in the D.C. metro area than anywhere else in the world, which is like spring and summertime. And the bald mm. eagles. I mean, if my clients want to see a bald eagle, I can take them by a certain tree and flush one out. They're that common. <laughs> and apparently see? the nests are full of cat and dog collars.
4: Oh, <laughs>
3: that's, yeah, that's a little odd. Yeah, but I can see that. We actually, a neighbor, or not a neighbor, but somebody that I, I know fairly well, had their their uh, small dog picked up by an owl one time and then kind of dropped a few uh, few hundred feet down the road. But, yeah, you got to be careful with pets and, and birds of prey. We had
2: a cat collar end up in our backyard one day, or a cat tag, and I asked my daughter, I was like, did you find this? And we called the number, and the guy's like, oh, our cat lost that like two weeks ago about three miles from here so i don't know wow. crow picked it up or mm. yeah, apparently he had the cat so i guess it didn't get eaten with the tag on it maybe it flew off with the collar after it fell off the cat
3: i don't know that happens with coyotes around here too yeah
2: and yeah. then they just stocked the creeks near us with trout so we got trout locally now
3: okay that's good yeah. that's good news. cook
2: you got to get out there before the poachers
3: find them <laughs> have you been out much lately?
2: Yeah, we've been having sort of a dry streak with just big fish and catching fish in general. Like the lake the other night, you could see we spooked what had to have been about a five foot long muskie in about two feet of water. I mean, it, it was enormous. You would have thought an alligator had just splashed in there. And we mm-hmm. spooked a couple of snakeheads. We saw a snakehead get eaten by a blue heron right in front of us. And we're throwing just weedless flies up in these grasses and just shaking them, making vibrations and nothing. <laughs> and then cool. another weird thing we saw on Saturday, Saturday morning or Sunday morning, was a mm-hmm. cormorant hitching a ride on someone's gunnel on their boat. Just that's all cool. day it was out on this boat, just joyriding. <laughs> Apparently, it had been on a woman's kayak the night before.
3: Sounds like uh, a bird that's pretty used to uh, being around people. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Stream I would looms.
3: say.
2: We have looms that pass through. You don't hear them, but you'll see them. Very hmm. nice. And I also saw a couple in a boat made out of storage bins the other day down by National Airport. The uh, the locals around here that are, are not local local. They're not from here. They call it Reagan National. If you're right. from here, it's just national. They changed it okay. twenty years ago. But yeah, these, yep. these couple went out onto the river in a homemade boat with boards and Storage bins.
3: Hmm. And, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've, I've only been to the only place I've been in D.C. is is, is a couple of airports, to be honest, to, on my way somewhere else. But uh, one day it's on my list.
2: Yeah, you can walk right out of National Airport and within five minutes be on striper, snakehead, gar, carp or whatever's moving through that pocket of water at that time. And then hmm. You can go back. Don't even need waders. You can fish from shore.
3: Sounds pretty good to me.
2: Yeah, and the out-of-state license for DC—you may be on Virginia shoreline, DC jurisdiction. I think it's thirteen dollars a year.
3: If if only I could find a guide in the Metro DC area. Hmm. <laughs>
2: We're going to work on that. So, speaking of fishing, how did you get into this? To end up
3: having your own podcast. Well, it's it's a funny story. It's so basically I. I have a radio background, so I was in radio for a lot of years, and I actually had a fishing show 30 years ago, and it was another career ago, and, and I, I used to work in a fly shop, and I've just, I've always had a passion for fly fishing, and when podcasts started kind of getting a little more mainstream, I got to admit, I, I didn't listen to a lot of podcasts early on. I've probably really only been listening to podcasts for maybe six, seven years, and then I just one day I said to my wife, I said, Why why don't we do a podcast? She she was in radio for years too. And I thought, Well, it's kind of a natural fit. I mean, it's the editing, I love the I love doing editing. It's basically a conversation with people. You find something you're passionate about. Like for me, I don't know if you can hear this. The dog just walked Brady, come here. I got a dog that <clears throat> he's having a bit of a stomach issue. Can you hear him hacking? <laughs> Does he have a radio voice too? He's got a I, I don't know. He talks a lot. I wouldn't call it a radio voice. He's got an annoying bark voice. Did he so get into something?
2: T- so last Saturday, I no, it was Saturday I had my clients because I came back, made smoked queso on the Traeger. We're mm-hmm. eating smoked queso on the back porch. All the doors are open. And I'm looking straight through the French back doors into the front door, and I see two ears and a nose sticking up at the front <laughs> door. I was like, oh, okay, there's a, there's a dog here. It turns out my neighbor, Olga, and I found out today why her dog had this horrendous stench. It jumped out of their yard and rolled in a dead raccoon and then came to <laughs> our doorstep. We didn't have a leash, so we used a waiter belt clipped through its collar. And I'm going to probably burn the waiter belt.
4: <laughs>
3: I, I had a border collie that used to love rolling in horse manure. <laughs> and- That's not that- the worst of poops, though. No, it could be worse. It could be cow.
2: But yeah, feline anyway. poo, predatory poos are nastier. <laughs> but sorry, I got I got off topic there with the poo. I little, have a but... whole photo album of poos of Africa from when I went there. Well, that's the difference good between that... hy- like hyena poo looks like chalk because they eat bone, whereas an mm. elephant eats grass. It's, right. I was a biology right. major, and I did funny slideshows of dead things and poop.
3: I digress. Well, you know. Like, it, it, it's it's an important skill especially when you're in the bush it, it long answer to your question uh radio background passion for fly fishing i just thought what the heck one day a uh, couple two and a half years ago let's do this and i've been doing it ever since and i i, I just love i love getting people's stories rob as you know it's like for me it's like it's not work when you just sit down you call up somebody and just chat fly fishing or you know fishing in general for me it it's a release and it I love talking about it I love doing it I love I love everything about fly fishing it's just that escape from the everyday I love the fly tying all winter long it's just it's just kind of part of my DNA at this point
2: now that original show you did was that ever advertised in fly fishman magazine around 94 and it was no. an am station
3: no it was an FM station it was a country station and it was called spin and fly and it was uh, I can't even remember. I think it was sponsored. That was a long time ago. I, I what I used to do is I just basically would phone fishing resorts and and I'd check in to see what kind of where the bite was, and then I'd have you know we'd have a biologist on or we'd have a, a fisheries biologist and just chat about you know stocking programs and, and and fishing in general. But that was that was a long time ago. Now part just of a,
2: modernized it.
3: Yeah, well, the thing I like about the podcast, and I, I know you probably can relate to this more than anybody, it's so specific, right? You can, you can find out, you can talk anything, like, in, you know, the dog's really, sorry, he's ramping up his game here. It's a Did good you thing this isn't eat video. Eat
2: nasty? Do you smoke too much? What's it, the hacking for?
3: I have a dog that's allergic to protein. Imagine that. That's no good. No. It's no, like a
2: fishing guide that doesn't eat fish.
3: That's right. Yeah, that's not far off me. I don't need a lot of fish. I I do like salmon, but I got to admit, I let all the trout go.
2: If my job was chasing chickens down, we'd be feasting all the time. (laughs) I've tried catching chickens, though; it's not easy. They were in the parking lot once by National Airport, which was the odd thing. And my buddy, Scott Sankis, and I were going snakehead fishing with my canoe and I pull in and there's dead chickens in the lot. I'm like, all right, I found Santeria sacrifices before. This is a little out of place. And then there's five or six more solid black chickens with a red circle right behind where their ear would be. Like the hang up button on Skype. That color red in that circle. Could well, not catch one for the life of me.
3: Well, I I hear chicken catchers get I actually no one. They get paid quite well. So it can't be that easy.
2: Yeah. There was a bit in rocky about that, I believe.
3: Of chicken. <laughs> uh, I just had, for some reason, was thinking of Jerry, little Jerry Seinfeld. Oh, little, <laughs> little Yeri? <laughs> little little Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld.
2: Remember that? I forgot oh. about that. Cockfight. Yeah, that was the bad guy from Clear and Present Danger who had little Yeri. <laughs> All right, so how did you get into fishing? If the radio came after you knew a bit about fishing, where'd the, where'd the itch and the bug come from? And... Growing up where um, you were in Canada, was there a fly fishing culture? Was there a fly shop? Where'd you yeah, well, get your information it, from?
3: So it's funny. So my folks moved from, from Britain. So we moved out here from uh, Birmingham in 73, 72. And then Hold so they moved up. here. 1972. So they moved up to uh, like nor- northern BC. Hold on. And, uh, you know. A long cold winter. They decided. You got to start oh, that over again. I heard seventy-two oh. and then long cold winter. It must have been cold. <laughs> if there's that gap. It sounds like an album. Nineteen seventy-two. My my folks moved out here from Britain, from from the UK, from Birmingham, like the Midlands. They spent a winter in Fort McMurray, which is um, you know pretty far north and pretty cool. So they, um I think, after a winter there, they kind of said, "Well, let's let's go back." So they went back to Britain. And so I started school in England and then uh, ultimately moved back to the Okanagan in uh, in the mid-70s. In answer to your question, my, my family wasn't much into fishing. Um, I'd see, you know, a lot of carp fishing and whatnot in, in Britain when I was little. I can recollect some of that. I kind of got the interest. And then when we, uh, my dad was a teacher. The principal of his school, his name was Bob Dunn, and he was a really passionate guy about fishing. And he actually um, he took my dad, my brother and and uh, himself. we were uh, fishing on a an area lake. I want to say it was probably probably uh seven, eight maybe, maybe nine years old. I can't remember now, but that's kind of when it started for me. We went to We just lights out on a on a small alpine lake, brook trout rainbows all day long, and I thought this is that was the most fun I can remember having. Just kind of been chasing that ever since. How much fishing did you
2: do as you got older? Does your wife into fishing too? Was she cool with you taking
3: off? Uh, no, no, she's so no. My wife isn't. I mean, she's cool with me going. She's um she's not really into it. We've tried a few times. Got her out in the old pontoon boat and uh, even the belly boats back in the day or or the river. Um, but it's not really her thing. She encourages me to go, so that you know I'm grateful for that. I think just having that. If you're passionate about anything, your partner you got to back it up. Right. So whatever that is, it just makes life better. You need that. And so for me, that's, it's just a, it's a release, right? So when you get super busy and you get a day off, you get out on the river or on the lake and there's just, um, you know, you just, it just kind of de-stresses, you kind of gets you back to nature and, and not thinking about, you know, day-to-day, day-to-day work. And I, I just, it's a great release. And I, I just think that it's, for me, it's a form of therapy. And I know that sounds a little cheesy, but I talk to a lot of people that find that in tying, that find that in, in, in fly fishing in general. It's just, it's a great escape. And, uh, you know, the outdoors in general, it doesn't matter what you're doing. If you're out in nature, you're probably in a good place.
2: Yeah. I've got the afternoon off tomorrow and I want to go fishing, but we're getting another tropical depression with several inches of rain. So I don't think I'm going to
3: have time to go out mm-hmm.
2: and do my own
3: water therapy tomorrow. Yeah, it's uh, and that's the thing, right? You're at the mercy of Mother Nature. I don't know about you though, yeah. but some of the, when it rains, sometimes that's the best fishing. If if the water's up, whether you're salmon fishing or um, the fish, they get a little less spooky for sure. We have the urban runoff here, so everything
2: just gets. I mean, there's so much asphalt and rooftops that everything just gets blown out here. It's I think mm. the Potomac's supposed to go up about three feet by Friday. Well. So you got two kids? Yeah, dude. There's a lot yep. of water coming. Two kids. So you got two, two kids. Did you get them into fishing? And if so, were they into it or reluctant?
3: I'd say reluctant, largely. But yeah, we got them out when they were young. You know, worm and bobber. Not not so much fly fishing because that that is challenging when they're little. I think. And let's face it when you're when you're young, I think the younger you are, you just need to get into fish. So we we go out for perch and and. Uh, uh, you know, uh, crappie. What else would we taste? You know, trout and whatnot. But just, just basically, you, you're trying to. Keep, when you're with kids, you want to keep them entertained and keep them busy because their attention spans are short. But not really their thing. But maybe it'll come full circle, and they like being outdoors and, and whatnot. But uh no, it's. uh I'm, I'm the only fly fisher I would say in the house to be to be quite honest, Rob.
2: Very nice. All right, I want to get into some more Canadian stuff with fishing, but sure. first I want to go back to the podcast a bit. Have you had any Drawbacks of hosting your own podcast?
3: Not really. I mean, I haven't seen a lot of downside. I think as the show grows, and I think you and I talked about this at one point. It's like you're gonna you're gonna run into people that don't like what you're doing, and they'll let you know. And it's like, well, hey, you don't have to listen to it if you don't want to. You know, it's it's optional. (laughs) I I got lit up a couple times on social media, which you know, I'm I'm a bit of a softy. I'm just like, oh, okay, Uh, I. I try not to take that stuff personal. Whatever it, I struggle a little bit with the social media, just because you feel like you're always you're throwing yourself out there. You really are, right? So, but at the end of the day, I think I haven't had I don't have a lot of negative negative things to say. It's been it's been largely positive. I, I'll get. I mean, you know how it is. You get an email from a listener says, "Hey, I love what you're doing." What do you think about trying to talk to this person? I, I'd really like to hear what they have to say. And that, I, I love that because that's that's more interactive for me. You know, I, I can't say anything negative about it, really. It's just that's the only thing I do struggle with a little bit is the social media aspect of it.
2: Have you had any technical difficulties in recording, editing, saving something? I mean, I've had so many episodes not record. One of them had yeah. happened twice. And the guy, I'm kind of been ghosted.
3: Yeah, well, that's I I get that. That's one of my biggest fears: is that you basically do this amazing two-hour-long interview, and then you don't save it, or you, you know what I mean? It's like you can't get that back. But I've been lucky with that, and and I'll tell you something: I basically delete everything after I record it because I find like because you do long format also, and it's like these conversations eat up a lot of a lot of megabytes, right? They they take up a lot of space on your laptop, or indeed, and I. So for me, it's I just try to keep a current. I try to every year do a best of show. So I try to hold on to episodes for at least twelve months, so I can go back and and kind of pull clips out of them. But you can always I mean, just what,
2: re-download them off of iTunes. Exactly, and that's
3: and and you know what's funny you said that I I've just recently kind of come to that realization is I don't need to store them because they're they're out there right. So <clears throat> I guess the the one downside I would say is you know you may say something you regret or someone might say something they wish they didn't say, and then you put it out there. It's out there. So unless I, and I do edit pretty hard. So if if I think somebody says something that's really offensive to anybody, I try to take that out. And I know that's, that's not always the norm on some podcasts, but I just, um, something I struggle with too is, is the swearing. Like I, I, when I started, I I edited every swear word because I thought, you know what? There's kids listening, and I know some people get offended by it. But it's it's gotten to the point. What I find is, like with iTunes, if you have one swear word in your show, all of a sudden all your shows are X-rated, right? Or uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Explicit. You also lose listeners globally because there's certain countries around the world that if it's explicit, you won't get any downloads. Like So (laughs) since I started doing that, I've noticed way more north american downloads but a lot less from globally i don't know if those two things are correlated but it's just food for thought it's something i I notice
2: do you have one country that listens more than others
3: no i'm gonna say the states i mean most of uh, well i mean let's face it that's where the population is in north america I, i do get a lot of canadian downloads as well um i get a lot from um mostly california pennsylvania Colorado is huge but then I'll find there's little pockets all over the place that's just like you know it, it's actually kind of a real cool exercise for me when I look at the data and I go where's this town and something I started doing was okay top 10 cities for downloads this week and it's almost never the same you know you'll you'll I'll hear of some town in South Dakota I've never heard of before and it's kind of cool to look it up say "Oh, just 1500 people live there and somebody just downloaded 60 of your podcast that's kind of cool the
0: 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by john browning the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the u.s military from 1911 to 1985 while colt produced the original almost every major firearm company has produced its own version it's wildly revered for its reliability crisp trigger and is still a favorite for all types of shooters whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to midwayusa.com.
2: To somebody in one episode from Reston, Virginia, which is where I'm from.
3: It wasn't me. <laughs> it wasn't Whoever me. That is kudos. Yeah. Well, it's for me, that's, that's pretty cool. You know, like, and that's, that's what I love about the internet. And that's what I love about the fly fishing community. It's, we may be, you know, a, a 15, 20 hour drive or a, four or five hour flight from each other, but really it's not that far. And we're all kind of have the same interests and we're all chasing fins and doing the same thing. And I get a lot of
2: listener feedback from Australia. When the mailbag comes, it's Australians. A lot of Australian listeners.
3: Yeah. Their podcasts are huge in Aussie for sure. I get a lot of New Zealand, Australia. I get quite a few UK and lately South Africa. But I think that's because I did have a South African guide on it. I think a lot of it depends on who you're chatting with and who they know. And, you know, I always think that like the the social media part of it, like the Facebook and the, the uh, Instagram, is not always indicative of my downloads. The downloads are more usually word of mouth and from the guests that I have, if that makes sense.
2: Yes. Do you have one guest? For me, it was Richard Franklin. The two of us just chilling in a hotel, him talking... Trout fishing stories, most downloaded
3: of all time. Yeah, that's cool. That is cool. I well, I I liked your uh, your story about Lefty Cray too. I got a real kick out of that. That was Um, an afternoon
2: when the microphone turned off. That's when the the interesting stuff was told.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Well, you and I talked about that on on my show a few a few months back, and that it was entertaining for sure. In answer to your question, I've I've had um, Lonnie Waller. Steelhead Guru, he was amazing. Basically, um, near death experience. Should have died more than once. Got in a plane uh, crash on 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 the Babine River in uh, in northern BC, and he told that story. Like I was just riveted listening to that. I've had Phil Roley on. He, I mean, Phil is a Canadian legend in fly fishing. I mean, I've had, I've had some. I'm, I'm just really grateful that anybody wants to pick up the phone and chat. And when it's when it's a you know it's a big name, that's great. But I'm I'm not all about that. It's for me, everyone's got a good story. Um, everyone has a story, and you don't have to be famous to have a great story. And and so for me, it's like I like finding those those people that nobody knows who they are. That's that's to be honest with you, that's kind of my goal. I, I don't, I'm not looking for big big names all the time. I'm looking for people that have interesting stories and there's a lot of them out there
2: yeah that's the thing with Richard he's just a a guy from Long Island that fishes worked at Orvis for years in New York City and does stuff with Project Healing Waters and knows everybody at the Somerset Edison show it's amazing he knows everybody (laughs) Richard Franklin went to high school with my mom but they didn't know each other
3: it's it's a small world when you start chatting you'll usually find some commonalities right it gets better.
2: He lives catacorner to my first cousin in ocean grove, New Jersey. You can almost <laughs> see their houses from each other's porches.
3: Yeah. Six degrees of separation. Yeah. Right. But, yeah. That's good stuff. So you were saying George Daniel. Yeah. We had George Daniel on. I, I love talking with him. I mean, I had, um, a fly rod builder out of Seattle. That's also a firefighter by day, and he talked about his passion for building bamboo rods. And I, I really found that interesting. We had uh, Pete Stitcher on recently from Ascent, and that guy. <laughs> I could have talked to that guy all day. He had. He's just such such an easy guy to talk to, and he verbalized some things about entomology and fly fishing that I hadn't hadn't quite heard. Other, you know, I, I, I find it interesting when people find different ways to explain what we do. Like, whether it's the craziness of spending all this time to go in the middle of nowhere, spend all this money just to catch a fish to let it go. <laughs> you know, it's like to outsiders, you're they're probably thinking, like, w- w- what's that about? You're not even going to kill that fish. You're going to let it go.
2: My job, and I have to explain to people, what do you do for a living? Oh, yeah, I teach people to catch fish that they throw back. People
3: look <laughs> at me like, just, wait, did I hear you
2: correctly? I'm like, oh, no, you heard it.
3: Yeah, no, it's... uh. Yeah, it's, there's so many, so many good stories out there. And I've had uh, a lot of entomologists, a lot of um, former biologists that are turned, you know, fly fisher industry people. Landon Mayer, Landon was awesome. I think I, that was the
2: episode I, with the rest and listener shout out.
3: Could, could be. I, I do that. I try. I was doing that every, every show. So I would have the top 10 downloads. I got to get back to that because I actually got a lot of good feedback. People like to hear that, I think, when... You know, if you're living in a small town in, in Minnesota and you get a shout-out, I think that's kind of cool.
2: Yeah. Well, the last shout-out dedication was to a guy who sent me a nasty gram about uh, wanting to preserve Alaska. And today, I of course, s- they're allowed love- to go and, and cut trees down in the Tongas. The salmon forest rule of uh, roadless has been negated.
3: I listened to that to your, your latest show. I listened to that one this morning on the way to work, actually.
2: Yeah. Matt's a great dude. You got to see him in person though. He's got very distinctive eyes that look right at you when you're talking. Very interesting to talk to him in person.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I I find that with a lot of people that spend a lot of time in the outdoors, they can kind of, you can see it in their face, right? Same with guides. There's a lot of guides that, I mean, you spend that much time in the outdoors and the wind and the, you know, you see a few things, and you, I always think you can kind of see that in people's eyes. It sounds cheesy, but I think it's true. You know who I had? I had We had a sporting diversity road tour on recently. So we had, uh, basically, it was a gentleman from Spoke Hollow Outfitters and uh, Davin Topel, who's a distiller out of Austin, Texas, and they basically took us on a road trip, and that was really cool because that's something you used to do a lot. I, I really enjoyed your show when you're on the road and you're, reporting in from these, well, obviously these shows aren't happening right now, but, uh, you know, you'd be talking about the people you ran into and the food you ate and the beer you had too much of. And I, I really enjoyed that. I, I love the uh, kind of natural kind of flow of your show. And it's, uh, it's actually influenced what I'm doing quite a bit.
2: Thank you. I'm trying to get a steelhead trip lined up car camping. I just don't mm. know when or where it's going to be. Yeah. You know what? Because yeah, I don't have my my wife can't watch my kid while she's at school. That's what I'm right. stuck here doing. So, uh, well, maybe Christmas vacation. <laughs> I don't know.
3: You'll find you'll find your windows right. It's like anything; <clears throat> it it ebbs and flows. Like you take for granted sometimes when you're out there all the time. And let's face it, we all get times in our lives when we get busy with with day jobs and kids and family and stuff. But I actually found that that this this past little um you know this last 10 month stretch with everything that's been going on it's more important in my mind now than ever to get out get out in those open spaces like for a lot of reasons it's uh it's just good for the psyche and it's you know it's it's healthy because you're not you're not sitting on a subway or a, you know it's it's good stuff
2: i really enjoy that i can drive to spots what normally would take an hour and 15 minutes now to get to a Fishing location with clients at 5 p.m. takes me about 15 to 20 minutes. Wow. Because so many people, you can't, I mean, the whole, this whole area is built around working in offices for the government, either as an employee or a contractor. And Mm -hmm. no one's going to work. So the roads are empty. It's amazing.
3: Well, that's something that's happened up here, I noticed, is, is house prices have gone up in a lot of places because, People have realized that they can do their job from home, like a lot of office jobs. If you've got a laptop and, you know, uh, you can scan documents, you can work pretty much anywhere. So you don't necessarily have to live in the city. And I think that's opening up a lot of a lot of places for people right now.
2: However, loophole federal employees that live here get an extra stipend for cost of living. And Mm. if they leave the area to telecommute, they will no longer receive that
3: pay. Interesting, yes.
2: So there's almost an incentive for people to
3: be here, right? Yes. So, are you going to be glad when this election's over?
2: Yeah, I want to not have to watch the news for a while and (laughs) just get back to it. Hopefully, a normal sense of humanity and
3: what is right and wrong with social mores and common sense. I watched your debate the other night, I had to shut it off. No offense, I was like, okay, I'm done.
2: It was almost like there was an imp- Donald Trump impersonator playing Donald Trump with the hand gestures.
3: I, I just I had to look I just yeah, I don't know. I'm like, okay, is this is this gonna solve anything? <laughs>
2: no. I thought Joe Anybody? Biden was gonna fall asleep standing up
3: <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not a very political guy at all. I just I just find it interesting to see what people are saying. And
2: there was an article about four weeks ago about people in Bangladesh that feel bad for Americans.
3: Hmm. Well, I think, you know what? Politicians are politicians. It doesn't matter where you live. But, uh, yeah, I try not to go down that road too often. (laughs) That's actually, that's one thing on the show when, when people get political, I just, uh, and, and that is hard because let's face it, a lot of these conservationalist uh, movements or whether it's pebble mine or it's any of these big, big topics, you can't help but get involved in politics. So, um, if we look at the resource first and try to put the politics aside, it would be ideal, but it's not that easy.
2: Right. All right. Let's do some Canadian stuff now.
3: Uh oh. Tell me about Canadian Thanksgiving. <laughs> well, we just had it early October. It's usually like the, just after the first weekend in October. It's actually probably my favorite holiday. I mean,
2: is it like hours where, where you just eat a bunch of food and
3: fall asleep and then wake up and eat leftovers 100 percent. it's all about it's all about the turkey it's all about the harvest it's all about the pumpkin pie yeah it's just uh just about being grateful for uh for for what you have and yeah no it's it's definitely my my favorite one of my favorite holidays for sure it's uh although it's right smack in the middle of harvest for us so it's um that's a challenge sometimes but uh we usually make it happen so um, and in fact, I know a lot of winemakers that as celebrate American Thanksgiving strictly because it, it it happens after the vintage. So, you know, by the time you guys have yours, what is it? It's like November 26th, somewhere in that range. Yep,
2: and, and yep. Of th- last Thursday or something.
3: Yeah, and you know what? I, I love it because I, I, I'm a big NFL guy, so I usually get to watch the Detroit Lions lose. Well, that's my neighbor Jimbo. That's his team. I know I actually like Detroit, but they don't they don't seem to win a lot of games lately. But I uh, I always do like watching football on Thanksgiving. And this is the
2: first year my family's not getting together since I want to say 50 1958,
4: 56
2: in the D.C. area. Wow! Well, and we would do them sometimes at my cousin's restaurant. He would shut down his main Italian restaurant and host us all as a big potluck there. He had to sell off all his restaurants you had a big family we have yeah with the cousins now and everyone's kids it's yeah. i think the last one had 70 people and then wow. my cousin's wife her family started showing up and we're like well, this is just chaos now so we're just <laughs> going to do a friendsgiving with our quarantine team here i'm definitely doing the turkey yeah making mashed potatoes and i'm making a sweet potato gratin
3: you ever do that turducken
2: i've had a pie caken, but i've never had the turducken
3: what the heck is a pie cake?
2: <laughs> My cousin's brought it from Manhattan. It's a pie with a cake
3: around it. Okay. You know what I thought you were going to say? You take a pike like a, like a muskie. <laughs> that would be more like a the like... fish for Passover. <laughs>
2: so maybe I should take a gefilte fish with a matzo ball
3: around it. Okay. Yeah. Give that a whirl. All
2: right. What are some misconceptions Americans may have about Canadian fishing? That's all just igloos uh, or frozen water.
3: I've got. I've never seen an igloo, but I've heard about them. I think that's the biggest thing is everyone thinks that it's that far north. It's cold all the time. And let me remind you, we're a lot further south than Alaska. I mean, do we get snow? Yeah, we get snow, but we get snow like like you know Minnesota gets snow, or we get snow like um, the Dakotas get snow, or Montana gets snow, or or Washington State. So it's. I mean, we. We have warm summers it's 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 very much like parts of Colorado. It's actually warmer, to be honest, because we don't have the elevation where I'm at. but uh, you know, you get into the Rockies, uh, you know it's more that way. But I would say that our open water season is probably longer than probably most people realize, like especially where where I'm at it's it's probably you know i've been I've been fishing Valentine's Day open water. Well, I shouldn't admit that. My wife might hear that, but she, she already knows that. April 1st is usually kind of April to, I would say, early November is kind of our open water season, depending on your elevation. So we have, you know, once you start getting up in elevation to some of the alpine lakes, obviously it's a lot shorter. I would say that's a misconception is is that and it, and that it doesn't get hot here because it sure does where I'm at. And, and across basically the whole country, but it's really arid in the in the Okanagan Valley. You mentioned the rain shadow effect. We, we get that, but we also have mountains that get dumped on for snow, so there's lots of skiing, um, lots of the ice runoff. fishing. Uh, yeah, yeah, but it, that's that's actually one... Okay, so as much as everyone's like, okay, dams are, are, are bad, the thing about dams is they really control the flow, they control the runoff, or at least you have the ability to do it. So... Up here, um, there's not, I mean, there, don't get me wrong, there's dams. But in the systems that I'm fishing, there's not a lot of dams. So they get scoured pretty hard. So when that runoff goes, it really goes. And and when it settles down, it really settles down. So our, our windows windows on the rivers that I fish are really short, like, like for good fishing. I would say you've got, like, basically in a normal runoff year, mid-June to early August. And then, and then the water levels get so low and the water temperature heats up and and then it can slow right down. So that's why primarily I'm in still water. So, I mean, the Kamloops region, I always say Kamloops region because the people know the Kamloops region. It's, it's, it's world renowned for still waters. I'm basically an hour and 20 minute drive from there but it's it's pretty good in our neck of the woods. There's a lot less lakes but because it's so dry. But you also have some very prolific lakes because you've got, you know, slightly warmer temperature, usually slightly higher pH waters, nitrogen-rich water, and uh, some trophy rainbow trout. There's definitely some some large fish in, in our area. And, and the Kamloops area is, uh, is well known for that.
2: Are these, all these still waters, we're going to get into still water fishing in a bit. That's sort of the the third part of the podcast. Are these natural impoundments or do you just have natural forming lakes and ponds? Here in Virginia, there's two natural lakes. That's it.
4: Mm, Everything I fish
2: pretty much is man-made.
3: Yeah, I mean there's a combination of both but I would say of what I'm fishing, probably 90% 90 of them are natural lakes. The the challenge Rob is that some of the lakes would winter kill right so uh you know you may be only dealing with a 20 foot deep lake so if it gets super cold in, a, in any given winter it may you know the fish may or may not make it so a lot of times they've put aerators on some of these waters if there's not an inlet or outlet stream sometimes that can be challenging because you know you don't have a lot of flow And if the lake doesn't have the depth to overwinter fish, you can run into some issues. But we have a really, really good stocking program here. We have one lake in particular, and it's on Highway 97C. It's called uh, Panask Lake. And it it is known for the Panask strain of rainbow trout. And so this lake has never been stocked, ever. It's at a high elevation. It's very prolific. The fish get their voracious insect feeders. So they, they don't necessarily... I've never seen a panacea chase a minnow. Uh, they don't eat other fish; they eat insects. So they they really are well suited to fly fishing. So uh, whether you're fishing caddis or chironomids or or uh, dragonfly nymphs or mayfly nymphs or uh, whatever you're fishing, any type of insect, terrestrial or otherwise, they're they're always willing to take it. And the coolest thing about these fish is they love to jump. You will never find it. It's like catching a a steelhead or a a clean silver coho they're just they'll be out of the water 10 times and you'll be like what is going on here so they're they're an amazing fish and they stock them widely in our region we also have blackwater rainbows which are uh um, basically um came from the black water system in uh the uh, caribou chilcotin area of british columbia so those are more geared for um they eat eat—they're meat eaters so um they like to eat you know, whether it's, uh, red-sided shiners or other, other minnows. So they've got a real diverse, they've got Fraser valleys, which are, um, they get big in a hurry, but they don't jump. They just, they just kind of, they pull down hard and they, they fight well, but they, they, it, when you hook a fish here, a lot of times you can tell what you have by the way it's fighting. If it's jumping in the air, you probably know what it is. If it's pulling straight down and not, not leaving the water, you probably know what it is. So they do a great a great job stocking the lakes here cuz most of them wouldn't hold fish to be quite honest i mean a lot of them would but a lot of them wouldn't because they just they wouldn't winter without help and and say a, a lake winter kills they may go back in and stock it with fraser valleys because they will grow quickly or they you know that they, they there's a lot of research behind what they do pretty grateful for the program we have up here we're pretty lucky
2: Now, when I think of Canada, with all the reading I've done throughout my life and internet movies, shows, I think of Quebec, Atlantic salmon, flying lakes for huge walleye, northerns, and giant brook trout, Great Lakes tributaries, Bow River, and (laughs) is it Calgary? or It's Calgary, right?
3: Calgary. Well, (laughs) there's a debate on that, but I think I, I say Calgary.
2: Okay. And then you've got West Coast steelhead and salmon and stuff. Have you had a chance in your life to to visit what I would consider these great fisheries that I've always heard about? I have to talk wider. I got in trouble. Did you? Okay. Yeah, I so, got yelled at. That's not the first time, though, is it? Oh, no. I'm always getting in trouble for shouting. Especially if I have a couple drinks in me, I get really loud. And then have we'll you got a drink that's... for any right now? No, I'm drinking uh, ice water. I, gotta
4: well, at least I got to take this one a little... night off.
3: I got some Cabernet going here. So,
2: market research or your
3: own? Uh, actually, it's it's our own, but I'm researching it. <laughs> nice. So, so, where were we? Uh, I you got to realize, I mean, Canada, like like the States is a huge landmass. I mean, I've never I've been to Montreal once. I've never spent any time fishing in Quebec. I so I'm a Western guy, so basically British Columbia would be like living in say say Seattle or, or say Portland. I mean doesn't mean you necessarily know the waters of Maine, if that makes sense. So indeed uh I I fish um, the the probably the f- most famous waters that I fish would be the Thompson River. I mean that used to have some of the biggest steelhead anywhere in the world unfortunately their their numbers are in decline i don't think you can even fish it now you can fish it for resident rainbows at certain times of the year but we used to go over there and not not that we had a lot of success because there wasn't uh, the numbers i kind of i'm a little too young to to know those days when it was amazing but just giant monsters out of that system which which they come up the fraser and then up the up the thompson river and and they still do I actually got somebody coming on this week to talk about that run. But big, big fish. Um, in answer to your question, I, I fish still waters. So I'm fishing, you know, really well known still waters in the interior of BC. But the Bow River, I haven't fished. I fished, uh, I guess I fished the Elk River. That would probably be one of the most famous rivers I've spent time on. Love that river. Flows kind of through the, kind of the foothills of the Rockies, um, just kind of through Fernie british columbia and towards the alberta border and uh you want to catch some beautiful beautiful west slope cutties there's bull trout in there that'll just uh shock the heck out of you you think you're into something huge and you might be that's a blue ribbon water for sure you mentioned the bow that's on my list i haven't fished the bow but there's so many rivers to it and once you get up north into northern british columbia northern uh you know parts of the, the rocky mountain kind of trench there's all kinds of systems that um You'll find uh, West Slope cutthroat um, rainbows. We don't have a lot of brown trout where I'm at. There's some, obviously, in the bow, and there's some on uh, some Vancouver Island rivers, but you don't get a lot of brown trout up here. It's not a. There's no stocking program that I'm aware of. It's all about the rainbows and the brook trout.
2: All right. Are there any Canadian urban legends, specifically with regards to fishing, that people down here would not know about?
3: Wow. When you say urban legends, you're talking specifically metropolis stuff? Or are you just talking Canadian fake legends?
2: You always hear down here about the diver that went down to fix a dam, fix a pipe, find Mm. a a car, and they saw the catfish that was so big, they Mm -hmm. came up to the surface and said they'll never go back down there again. I've heard a story like that every couple of years of my entire life. No one I've ever heard has actually seen the catfish in person.
3: Yeah, well, That's I have region. a similar story. I have talked to somebody that there's a big floating bridge and that separates uh, Kelowna from from kind of uh, the South Okanagan. There's a the floating bridge there, and I talked to somebody that knew somebody that was a diver when they built the first bridge, and they said that they turned around and saw the biggest sturgeon they'd ever seen, and it scared the heck out of them. But nobody, to my knowledge, has ever caught a sturgeon in that lake. I mean, if you go back before the days of dams, the okanagan lake system flows into the okanagan river which flows into columbia river which you know obviously enters the ocean so is it possible sure it's possible there's there's sturgeon there's sturgeon in the columbia why wouldn't there be you know what i mean they could have come up that system years and years ago but you hear about i hear about that every once in a while i I don't have any urban urban myth or urgent i mean we've got what they call the ogopogo which is a, a mythical kind of Loch Ness monster in the uh, the Okanagan Lake. You don't want to know what I think about that. (laughs) It depends on how much merlot you've had. (laughs) Yes.
2: And Then you start seeing one.
3: Are there any famous... I was going to say you get lots of weird wave action there. Um, There are some really big fish in that lake. It's a long, deep lake. But um, just the way the wind hits it, you get all these kind of weird waves that will pop up from you know, you see some interesting wave patterns out there and you could take some pretty cool pics, but uh, it's a beautiful lake full of beaches, some some large rainbow trout, which are, which are kind of hard to catch, but they're there.
2: Are there any famous hatches up in your area?
3: You know what we do get, which we have some amazing, amazing mayfly hatches. There's like a, a sulfur hatch on, on the Similcamine that I find fascinating and a stonefly hatch. We get these big California stoneflies and they're giant and and when they're going if you time it right i mean it's it's uh it's wild i've only ever hit it twice and i fish that river every year that i can remember and i've only hit it twice you see the casings you see them in the water you see the nymphs but when they're hatching if you ever hit that it's like it's um it, it's like a gong show and there's i don't know where the fish come from but they show up shows you just what's down there that we never actually see. Mm. We also get a on, on Okanagan Lake, and I remember this even as a kid, you know, you go to the beach and all of a sudden you get these, um, I don't even know the proper name for them, but they're a giant mayfly. I think they're called Hexa. Texagenia. Yeah, that's Limbata. it. Thank you. They are giant. Yeah, they use like snow the- plows in the Midwest
2: to clear them off bridges.
3: We'll, we'll we'll go to the you'll go and gas up at the gas station. And they'll be all over the pump if it's down near the lake, and they are giant. I'll, I'll never forget. And that, and that you see that every year. It's kind of that's um, a later thing. I want to say July. They're they're big, and the fish the fish are like those. But that's a, I mean it's pretty hard to fly fish effectively large large bodies of water unless you're pulling you know uh, bucktail patterns or uh, you know minnow patterns. Are there any?
2: famous Canadian tires in your area or in general that someone down here
3: may not be familiar with? Did you say Canadian tires? Tires. Not like the store Canadian tire. I was going to say, I actually used to manage, I uh, was a sporting goods manager at Canadian tire. We went to here. the one in Montreal just so I could actually see what it's all about.
2: You can get
4: well, everything it's like there.
3: You can't, well, I'll tell you what, I spent a lot of time in there because I'm into gardening, so i got the gardening stuff. You got, you got anything for your vehicle. You got anything for the outdoors? Anything okay. for the house? It's yeah, it's no, it's a, it's a great shop for sure. I forgot your question. Canadian
2: famous fly tires?
3: Oh, tires! Oh, yeah. <laughs> when you say Canadian tire, I was not thinking of fly tying. I got to tell you, thought about that, but I don't there, hear the word Canadian what? tire very often. There's reference to the store. <laughs> there's there's a lot of tires and you're asking the wrong guy because i'm not i follow a lot of tires but um you know the same names always keep coming up on the podcast and i i watch a lot of those guys but um i i i, I couldn't name a lot of famous canadian fly tires ken phil roley he ties some some mean patterns brian chan i mean he's uh he's as well known a, a fly fisher as you'll as you'll get anywhere. And he's a, a Stillwater legend in, in British Columbia and beyond. And uh, his patterns are, are amazing. It's only a kick. Oh, a jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas.
2: What about authors and writers? Are there any specific people that you would pick a book up of? Mm-hmm. You'd have well, no idea about them down here.
3: Roderick haig Brown. He still
2: never read his stuff.
4: Yeah,
3: it's amazing. Very, um, very inspirational and 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 more of a right like obviously passionate about the outdoors and uh, it's a lot of Vancouver Island kind of uh, steelhead and um, salmon rivers but very inspirational stuff. Uh, Brian Chan has, has has some great books. But I would say Roderick Heck Brown would, would be one.
2: Would there be fly fishing pioneers that would not be in the fly tie or <laughs> or author category? Personalities <laughs> like famous teachers, someone like like Joe Humphrey's down here
3: mm. or George Daniel? <laughs> I mean, we're so influenced by by you guys that it's 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 the same names, right? I mean, it really is. I'm at a bit of a loss for that, and I'm, I so got to tell you, I I should know more than I do about that, but it's um, the history of it. That's not kind of my my wheelhouse.
2: So you send all your funny people here, and then we send all of our fly fishing information <laughs> north.
4: <laughs> yeah,
3: something like that.
4: Yeah, well, Except I mean, always... someone
2: assaulted Rick Moranis recently. Really? Yeah, he got sucker punched in New York City.
3: Hmm. I you talk about famous, I mean, fly tired. I always think of Lee Wolf. Um, I think of uh, who do I think of? Um, Jack Dennis. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it, it comes down to. I'm if you went to say Atlantic Canada and you asked the same question, you'd have some really well-known tires of, um, you know, Atlantic salmon flies that I'm, I'm not familiar with. So, um, it's a big question, but, um, from where I'm at, it's, it's the Brian Chans, the Phil Rollies. Um, those would be a couple right there.
2: All right. What is it like to catch a wild steelhead that was not born in a test tube? (laughs)
3: well i you gotta ask somebody like lonnie waller that who we had on the show like i you're you're talking to a guy that fished the thompson river and really all i ever caught in there was salmon i never actually did hook a steelhead and i have i've probably only gone true steelhead fly fishing a handful of times i mean we were back in the day we were more about the floats and the yarn and and that type of, of of fishing for steelhead and uh You're asking the wrong guy, because that's not my wheelhouse, but I can only imagine... Go go ahead,
2: sir. What's it like catching a wild salmon that wasn't born in a test tube? Because I've only caught test tube salmon and test tube steelies.
3: I do think there's a difference there. I can't speak to that, because I've caught a lot of salmon river systems in, in, say, the lower mainland area. Whether it's the Chehalis or the Vetter or... Basically... I think, I think wild fish fight better. I think, you know, what would be a comparison in my mind is like when you're fishing a lot of these stock lakes um, and you're catching, say, Fraser valleys and they just kind of tug, 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 tug. But when you get like a wild panask or a wild, any like a wild blackwater, say in the blackwater river, those things, they've never been hooked before for the most part. And they're going to get aerial. But when you, when you're, I think when you're fishing a lot of highly pressured systems, Especially, just to put it to you this way, Rob, I fish quite a few catch and release lakes, and that, to be honest, is where a lot of the big fish are, because they keep getting put back. But what happens is, in my opinion, they, a lot of them have been caught f- before. so it's like, oh oh, this, I remember this, it hurts my, you know, it hurts for a while and then, and then they'll let me go. And they, they're not going to fight like a fish that's never been hooked. I, I think wild fish usually get more aerial. And I think um, they usually fight harder. What's going on back there? I'm curious. Have you got, like, is that an aquarium I'm hearing?
2: You can hear that?
3: I can hear that aquarium, yeah. What kind of fish you got in there?
2: Stupid goldfish. I usually unplug it. I just unplugged it now, so.
3: No, I like it. I, I felt like I was at the river.
2: Oh, I'll turn it
3: back on. We have Spotty, the
2: large goldfish, and Dottie, the smaller goldfish, and then George, the crayfish
3: you actually name your fish yeah
2: I specifically got the white one with a small orange dot so my daughter could call it Dottie (laughs) and you feed the crayfish frozen peas one of the peas was floating today and spotty went up and ate it whole off the surface Mm. yeah I don't care much for anything in there I want them all to die
3: Come on, you don't mean that. I got, I got, I think most fisher, fly fishers or fisher, people that fish have, have fish. I bet, um, (laughs) you'll laugh. I've, I raised koi. So I've got, um, I I used to have, uh, like a little waterfall and this, this pond that I built and then I had the raccoons just come every year and devastate them. So I finally got smart and I, I have this greenhouse. So I dug out the bottom of the greenhouse about four and a half feet down. So it doesn't really freeze, even in the coldest winter. They pretty much grow year round. So they um, got five of them in there. But you want these they They're getting pretty big. Uh, no, I'm good. I got uh, I got all the so guppies and uh, my wife
2: can't. She can't be home with us during the day, so she rents a room at a our neighbor's house, Fred, and he gave us three dozen guppies. And by morning, they were gone. The goldfish ate them all. Really? And the so crayfish sure. ate his wife, Martha. Uh, he's eaten a couple of guppies. He eats all the snails. So we can't have anything in there. It's just like sterile. Hmm. There's just, the crayfish cuts every plant to pieces. I ripped <laughs> off one of his front claws. It hasn't grown back yet, just to kind of prevent it from destroying everything.
3: Oh. Wow. No, I have not had crayfish. I have had snails. Never and that. they took over my tank. So we don't have time for that
2: and the goldfish just pick up the gravel all day suck it and then spit it out try to get the algae mm-hmm. so you just hear this like gravelly sound all i hate them
3: but do you not find it relaxing like i absolutely love having fish in the house like it's just for me i find it really relaxing
2: before the crayfish we had wild scuds <laughs> uh, a couple crest bugs uh some leeches wild like it was a wild aquarium stuffed locally snails Having scuds in your aquarium is awesome. They're so entertaining, but these things yep. eat everything. We need to just cook them, have a fish and crayfish fry.
3: It's pretty cool when you can look at, like you just talked about, uh, like scuds. Like you, when you can actually see up close how they act, I think that really helps your fishing.
2: Those legs just move nonstop, but they are so fast in the water. Mayflies, too. Uh, mayflies, stoneflies, how just slow they move in the tank. But if you pick them up, how fast they swim! I mean, honestly, oh, yeah. if you want to mimic a mayfly, just a three-quarter inch piece of olive marabou on really a hook, moving through the water looks exactly the same. But we tie yep. flashbacks, soft tackle, <laughs> pheasant tails.
3: It's funny you Complex. said that. That's uh, a pattern that we use for mayflies. Is we use uh, it's a ginger marabou, like a tan color, and just a small little bead at the front. But basically, all you're looking at is a tiny hook with marabou that kind of moves back and forth naturally in the water with a bead head and it's deadly should try it on these two and hook them and get rid of them
2: (laughs) so when you're going to go do a day of still water fishing what Mm -hmm. are you packing what's your gear you mentioned belly boats
3: earlier what's your what's your hardware how do you dress so i kind of we graduate. I mean, belly boats. I'm going back 30 years. We were fishing on the belly boats, and then, and then the pontoon boats came along. And I've got a Dave Scadden. Um, I've, I've got a Scadden in the garage, but I've been using the Watermaster more. Yeah, I, well, I had a Watermaster too. Or sorry, Water Skeeter. I had a Water Skeeter. A pontoon boat which i like i've also got like an aluminum 14 and foot wide bow boat that we use on slightly bigger water I, so i'm funny when it comes to fly rods i'm not overly fussy i will tell you that for the waters that we're on a uh, 10 foot five weight is kind of the the meal ticket uh longer rods are better because we're throwing a lot of times indicators for chronomid like with chronomid patterns or midge patterns trying to um Kind of get in that you know 12 to 15 foot zone underneath a, a strike indicator. I have a, an Orvis Helios 3, which I love. Uh, I have a Echo, both of those are 10 foot 5 weights. I have a Reddington. I have a what else have I got? I've got a Hardy. Yeah, you know, it's like anything. I the Helios is my go-to rod. If I had to pick one, um, it's a lot of money, though. I mean, I I spent more than I should have probably on that. But, like, just so you know, I don't I don't get anything for free. For me, it's all trial and error. I like, I like I like the price point of the Echoes. I like the price point of the Reddingtons. I like the price point of the Douglas rods. Um, that's a company that I'm I'm looking at right now. But, you know, that two to three hundred dollar range with a lifetime warranty is is appealing to me because I do break them. And for whatever reason, I have this really bad habit of never wanting to return anything. So I'm like a dream for rod companies. I got um, a lot of four-piece rods that are now six pieces. And they're old. They're just sitting there. I just never send them off. And I, my buddy gives me a hard time all the time. I, I probably should at least sell it to someone or give it to somebody else. But This year, I think I had more broken five weights than most people owned five weights. So what is it with that? Like them. why... So why don't you send them back? I don't even know why I don't send them back. I just can't I be because we weren't leaving the house. I don't know.
2: Yeah, <laughs> one broke yeah. like two years ago. My neighbor was supposed to fix it, and she never got around to it. Hmm. I, I just ordered a bunch of like random tips off eBay and just fitted a whole bunch of rods and found the ones they fit on and just epoxyed them on.
4: Well,
3: do you know what I've found lately is that I love. The the fly line itself is really important to me and, and, and you can spend a lot of money on fly lines now. So sometimes what I'll do is I'll kind of skimp out on the reel. Like I don't have to I don't have to have the latest, greatest reel, but the rod and the line for me is is, is most important. Are you doing
2: overhand casting or roll casting when you're in that low down boat? Because that would make your line rather important
3: uh 100 percent overhead like i i just uh 10 o'clock two o'clock all day that's why i like the helios too because it is super light and getting that little extra leverage we get some pretty good wind gusts around here too so there's a lot of there's a lot of kite surfing and wind 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 surfers in in some of the waters that we're near and it's like um if you're out early in the morning or later in the day you can sometimes kind of um, miss those those wind gusts. But I always call it the two o'clock wind. At two o'clock, it's always windy and that's when you really want a longer rod. Like you don't want to be trying to throw an eight and a half foot rod in in a in a big still water system. It'd be like fishing Pyramid Lake. Right? Like um I mean I've never fished it, but I, I know that I probably wouldn't be going there with an eight foot rod.
2: I think pyramids opening up soon. Yeah. It's been closed for seven or eight months because of mm. COVID. Right. Now yeah. the Coronamid fly. Mm-hmm. There are a thousand different Coronamid flies. Is it just because right. you can get super creative with them? No, you can just
3: it's change the, it, the
2: ribbing, the puff on the tip for the gills.
3: Well, for me, it's how they, and, and I've, I'm, I'm, look, I'm not making this stuff up. It's what, it's what the experts say. And I've, I've actually witnessed is, is the chronomid changes in the water column. So any nymph, any insect that's emerging, usually in deeper water, they're darker colors. and As they come up, they, then you start seeing those chromies and kind of those, um, um, bright silver kind of, uh, once they trap that gas in their pupa and they're trying to emerge, they start rising and, To us, it looks very silver. It's very shiny. So I think, you know, like a rainbow warrior type of look. So for me, if there's any red in there, there's a lot of hemoglobin that's usually present. And as those chironomids or those uh, pupa emerge, they do change color, right? It depends from where where the trout are taking them. If they're taking them on the surface, they're going to look more like uh, the adult. But if they're taking them as, you know, in, in fairly clear water usually and maybe say between, you know, 10 and 5 feet they're usually they can be quite chrome quite silver in color so uh, black and silver is a real big one for us red and silver because again you're showing that hemoglobin that's uh present in in bloodworms and in 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 the pupa black is a go-to for for me like black with a silver rib maybe a red butt if you put a little bit of red and you know um pete uh stitcher verbalized this really well he said if you put like a little hot spot on any of your flies he said think about think about a lion in the you know in in africa that's that's it's on a herd of gazelles and gazelles are on the menu and it's looking at these gazelles and one of them's bleeding or one of them has a little hot spot guess what that's where the attention's going to go that's that's the way nature is they look for the weak and they'll try to take that out so why that not little... just
2: tie the whole thing out of the hot spot, like the joke? Why not make the airplane out of the black box?
3: But you know why? Because then it doesn't stand out.
2: What right? if the what if you reversed it so that the natural color was the hot spot, and the whole the, thing now was?
3: You're, you're talking like a fly tower. I, that's how right. I need, yeah. Like needs, how we just, see yeah. a flower versus how a bumblebee sees a flower. Well, and that's why there's there's so many different chromatic patterns, right? But I don't think. I get into this big thing on on my show about uh, realistic versus suggestive patterns. And I think sometimes as tires, we get too caught up in the realistic. Like you just said it yourself, you take a piece of marabou and you tie it on a hook, you've got a killer fly pattern. But the reality is someone will spend five hours trying to make it look exactly like that specific mayfly pattern, which then maybe it doesn't have the movement in the water. So, you know, if you can talking and that's why searching patterns are so effective right because they're generalities you know if you've got the general color and the general size and the general movement and it's in a within a bunch of other you know emerging chronomids or mayflies or damselflies, chances are that fish will probably have a go at it and when we tie our flies we're using them under bright lights looking up close
2: at them how they're never going to look in the natural we should be mm-hmm. wearing goggles full of
3: dirty water when we tie our flies to see how they see it well and when you get them when you actually put them in the water they change color too and it's um that's why i think there's that's why i love fly tying because you can get as creative as you want to get i'll I'll tie patterns that never even see the water or i'll tie a a lot of one-offs and it's like oh man this is working but i just lost it and i can't remember for the life of me exactly how i tied that i'm really bad for that but that's part of the puzzle for me. It's like, you know what? I can remember one day we were were fishing this lake, very aqua blue lake up in the Salmon Arm area, which is uh, about a two and a half hour drive from where I'm at. But we followed chironomids as they were popping and we were doing throat samples. So they started on this bright green, like fluorescent, almost chartreuse green uh, limeys, we used to call them. But um, that was the, the pattern that they were taking, and when we throat sampled the fish, that's what they were feeding on. And then they t- went for this carrot kind of orange colored chronomid with a with a with a silver rib, and it had a black kind of um, like a double rib, like a black and a silver double rib on it. And then that was lights out. And and as you followed through the day, you change your pattern. I've experienced days like that where like just those little tiny changes make all the difference. And I know it sounds, some days, you know, it's just black and red, black and red. It's it's the old standby, but don't be afraid to change it up. And those throat samples, if you do it properly, are I think are, are safe for the fish if you know what you're doing. And you talk about um, stomach pump? Yeah, like just, a, we call it a throat, because you don't really put it in the stomach, you just put it in their throat, and if you're doing it properly, it's like a tiny turkey baster. I mean, I wouldn't be doing that on, on fish on hot summer days in river systems, but um, still waters, uh, cold water, if you treat them right, you can you can find out what they're feeding on, and that's that's something that, you know, Chan and, and Rolly have, have, have have I've learned from, just whether it's online or just uh, videos and whatnot, and it's, it's really helped. I mean, when you can see what those fish are feeding on, it's one thing to see them eat it. It's another thing to see what they're actually feeding on and have a sample. It's like some fish will just barf up. I've had striped bass barf up
2: baby bluegill. I'm like, well, I know what I'm tying up tonight. <laughs> yeah, I well, got to and- picture this little itty bitty one inch bluegill in my palm that was thrown up, and I was like,
3: that's what I need to match. I keep going back to this Pete Stitcher interview, but he he, he said, look at the spider webs. So when you're on the side of the river, you're getting in your boat or whatever, look at what is fresh in that web because that's what's coming off the water. I thought that was a good tip. Yep. Yeah, always on the bridges too. Mm. I had another guy say, look look what's on the front of your car. Not
2: anymore. There's no more bugs out. I mean, I was telling Art recently that I drove three road trips this summer and barely had to clean my windshield once. We just don't have the mm-hmm. bugs like we used to in the summer. There's no hopper stuck to the grill.
3: Yeah. Well, it, yeah, up here there is. Um, I mean, I honestly, my grill gets covered, especially in, you know, in the summer. Right. I mean, you're talking July and August I Lots of butterflies anymore. Really? There are no more butterflies to see a monarch is super weird. Maybe one see, where I'm at, we don't get monarchs. So, and I don't know if this is true or not, but somebody told me that basically West of the Rockies, you don't see a lot of them.
2: Oh, there's a whole big book written about them migrating from Canada through, I want to say California
3: or Seattle. Okay. Purple book. And it's well, a monarch. I've yeah. never seen a butterfly. We have ones called painted ladies and we have uh, viceroys and we have, um, Morning cloaks, tiger swallowtails. We have all kinds of butterflies, but I have actually never seen a, um, a mon. I'm not saying they don't happen, but I've never seen one here.
2: Now, when you are doing some stillwater fishing, you mentioned there aren't a whole lot of browns. What else might you catch? And what would you consider like a trashy bycatch that you didn't want to catch?
3: A sucker. Uh, and honestly, I've, I've, I haven't caught a lot of those over the years, but they're a natural bottom feeder in some of the river systems. I actually, a lot of people feel that way when they catch carp, but I, I I enjoy carp. I think they're a lot of fun. Cannot find good carp fishing around me. North Northern Pike Minnow. That would be the one that that people are like, oh, just you know, they're uh, basically they're not a game fish, although they they fight pretty well for for the first few seconds, but then they give it up and they, they tend to feed pretty voraciously on other fish. So. You know they're hard on coconut populations they're hard on salmon fry they're hard on and any any minnows so that would be one that i uh i would leave
2: all right anything canada that i forgot to ask canada fishing
3: <laughs> well it's just it's such a diverse you're talking about a very large area so I mean, what we fish for here, most of Canada, like the further north you go, you're not going to see largemouth bass, right? You'll see smallmouth bass because they can handle the cooler water. And you'll see, like where I'm at, there's no pike. There's no muskie. Those are a cooler water fish. So further south you go, you're going to see more, more bass, more perch further north you go you're going to see more grayling um you can get into arctic char which i've had some some folks on the show talk about some of the arctic char fishing in northern canada which sounds amazing uh brook trout which love cold water you know grayling which i mentioned which i that's on my list I mean, there's no grayling where i'm at it's too warm but it's it's no different than than you know the the difference between fishing alaska and fishing florida i mean it's it's pretty darn different right so when you go down to you know say southern vancouver island uh, there's people out there that are are catching all types of salmon but they're catching mackerel and they might be catching tuna and then you go you know to the east coast there's you know it's no different than massachusetts or, or parts of new york where you know it's all about the striper fishing you know it's the coasts echo the coast, no, it doesn't really matter where you're at. But the further north you get, you're gonna find some some species of fish. Yeah, a lot more white fish, like mountain white fish, grayling, pike, uh, walleye, or uh, you know, um that's that's a, a fish that I don't really see a lot around here. Again, it likes cooler water, but apparently uh, great great uh table fish for sure. That's what they tell me. hmm Pickerel right. is the other one. Some guys call them pickerel.
2: You ready for some nonsensical, miscellaneous, random
3: questions? I love I love nonsensical stuff. Excellent. I'm all about all right. that.
2: Uh, when was the last time you personally came down with the case of the meat sweats?
3: <laughs> <laughs> i got to tell you exactly when it was. I was at Canadian a wine Thanksgiving. No, 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 no. This was a bad case, too. I ordered the biggest steak. I was on the road, so it's not every day I get to have steak. Um, although we do do a lot of barbecuing. But I was on the road at a wine show in Vancouver, and I'm trying to remember the name of the steakhouse. It was a real high-end steakhouse in, in a newer hotel. There's a casino there. I can visualize it. The, the park. I think it's called The Park. I forget the name of the restaurant. But anyway, I ordered this giant steak, which I had no business eating, you know, plenty of uh, Cabernet to go along with it. But <laughs> I, you know when you're you see it on your plate, and you go, yeah, i, I got to finish this off because it's so good. And then at some point, it's like, I don't know what I was thinking. I overdid but, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's almost, it's like you get like a meat hangover. It's like it's like a, a two-day, okay, I think I'm going to eat uh, cereal and water for a while. It takes a lot of energy to break all that stuff down. <laughs> I do. And that's honestly... I don't eat a lot of fish. I do. I do have a soft spot for for anything uh, ribeye related, but um, it's not. It's not always that healthy, is it? No. All right.
2: If you only had one bird species to tie with for the rest of your life, what bird would it be?
3: Hmm, that's a great question. I I want to say pheasant, but I got. Where does marabou come from? I guess chickens. It's got to be a chicken.
2: No, I've got some yeah. rumps here.
3: There's some, there's y marabouy kind of plumes on, on a pheasant tail. I, I mean, I could, I could, um, I could live without a pheasant tail, but I couldn't live without marabou. Just tails on leeches. Um, I just love how it moves in the water. It's so do you natural. Have a favorite,
2: favorite leech pattern to use up there.
3: I do. We Land call ends, it. Um, we call it. No, we call it the black and blue. And it's a balanced leech, actually. So it's it's basically a, a balanced um, black leech with a little bit of um, iridescent blue throughout it, and combed with a velcro comb so that it looks all sparse. And that that imitates well. That could be a leech. It could be a dragon. It could be a, it could be a case caddis. You know, if you do it right. It, it, it could even be a bait fish, and it works. And that, that black and blue, even a little purple in there sometimes, but we just call it, uh, me and my buddy Steve, we call it the black and blue.
4: All right.
3: He calls it a Chicago. I don't, I'm not sure why he calls it a Chicago, but I call it a black and blue. Deep dish. Or <laughs> windy. Uh,
2: if you could have a superhero's power to make you a better angler, which power would you choose?
3: Mm. X-ray vision. So you could see under the water where the fish are at. What is the worst place you've ever fished? The worst place I ever fished was a tailings pond off of the Fraser River. It was full of chum salmon, and it was it was kind of souery and kind of like um, muddy, and uh, that I I wouldn't go there again. Who's got the best sandwich off of Highway
2: 97?
3: Wow. That's a great question. I'd have to say, I'd have to say probably the Terrafina restaurant at, at the winery. Uh, Oliver Eats has uh, has an amazing food truck there, too, and, and their sandwiches are, are pretty, pretty, pretty standout.
2: What was your favorite day of fly fishing? You can close your eyes and just, that was... That was the cat's Hmm. pajamas.
3: That's a tough one to pick one. But I'm going to tell you, it was under a full moon on a local lake, on a catch and release lake. It was like a Valentine's um, Day. (laughs) No, no. Um, It was a hundred degree day. But at night, it cooled off to, you know, like, say, the high 70s. So, your t shirts under a full moon, the lake is lit up. We're fishing two and a half inch long Gomphus darner dragonfly patterns and just um, getting spooled, just that zzzz, all the time in the dark. You don't know what's coming up, you can barely see the fish. Uh, that's, I'll never forget those nights. And we, we do it every year, but I have yet to. Um, duplicate the success that we had when we first started doing it because there's something pretty cool about fishing in the dark and there's something the big guys come out when there's no ospreys or bald eagles around and and uh, fishing in the dark is uh, is pretty cool
2: what is your home fly shop
3: well (laughs) funny story actually where i'm at there's not really a fly shop there's a hunting shop that sells some flies but it's not really a fly shop uh, Best Buy Shop locally uh, is in Kelowna, and it's called Trout Waters, and uh, it's it's a great shop. They're, they've got everything in there, uh, Nick and Savas. I, well, most of the stuff on my wall is from that shop. I mean, you know, I do buy some stuff online, but um, I, I'm old school in that I just I love going into a shop and, and seeing the patterns and seeing the materials. Um, I haven't fully embraced the online thing yet, but... Um, there's something special about going into a fly shop. And I think also growing up working in one, it kind of, it's just a comfortable place for me and I can spend way too long and way too much money in, in any fly shop.
2: While you are on highway 97, what's
3: your most played album? Oh, geez. I got to say Eric church. Um, desperate man. Is that the name of the last one. His last album. I'm bad with remembering album titles, but um, I'm a huge Eric church. I mean i I love country, right? So I worked in country radio for a lot of years, so I have a lot of uh, I love Kenny Chesney. I love anything that's kind of uh, I like I like the bluesiness kind of originality that church has. I, I just think he's uh, he's doing something that I don't hear anybody else doing, and uh, it's real. And I, I just I can't even define it. I mean, I growing up I was a hard rock guy, um, but I, I love country. It speaks to me now, and it's like anything. I think it, different phases you're at in life, music talks to you in different ways. But my, my taste in music is I mean, I listen to Metallica. I'll listen to Taylor Swift. I'll listen to uh, you know uh, you name it. I'll, my kids are into a lot of rap, and I'll find the odd song that I like. But um, I'm a country guy.
2: Do you have any superstitions in general, any fishing superstitions, routines, rituals
3: you have to do before a trip? Do not put diesel in your truck before you go fishing. And I will not have a banana. I will not have a banana. What? Is it a diesel truck? I had a diesel uh, three quarter ton. And um, one time I uh, fueling up, I got diesel on my hands and I swear I never got a bite that day, and it was lights out fishing, and I, I I, can never prove it. But I think fuel in general, try not to get it on your hands because uh, you get that on your line, it's not pretty. I, I just banana. want to make
2: sure it wasn't a car that took regular gas. That was my no, concern.
3: I, I, I've done that. I've done that. I, my <laughs> I realized that you know, this is a funny story, but it was an expensive story. I had a, the same truck. It was a Ram three-quarter ton diesel and old Cummings and I had uh I was in a hurry one day it was was Christmas it was was near Christmas I was Christmas shopping it was snowing I was just trying to get home and I pulled up I started filling it up and I went oh crap I was putting regular fuel into my diesel and so I phoned I phoned my buddy who's a mechanic he's like do not start it if you start it, it's going to be way more money. Just don't start it. Get it towed. So I got it towed to the dealership, and um, I, I guess it, I'm not a mechanic in any way, shape, or form. But I think uh, if you don't get it into the fuel pump, I think it saves you some money. But they somehow got it out, and crisis averted. But I will yeah. not, I will not eat bananas when I'm fishing. That's, That's my superstition. Yeah, I was uh, watching a guy get.
2: Uh, ticket for not having his life jacket on on the Potomac once and then you hear the loudspeaker is that a banana in your boat she's like what in God's name are you dealing with a banana in your fishing boat and, and everyone just kind of stopped and watched her berate this guy for
3: having a banana it's pretty funny <laughs> two, two other things that I'm really careful with Rob is um, sunscreen spray and uh, bug spray like I, I don't want that anywhere near my fly box and with
2: COVID, I'm just completely covered up. I don't think I wore sunscreen once this year. I put it on my cheeks the other day mm. for driving to the river, but I don't think I put on sunscreen once when I was fishing this year. Gloves, hat, face mask, my good yeah, capris.
3: <laughs> yeah, no, I, if I, I, when it gets super hot, And especially with some of the higher elevation lakes, you, uh, that sun, it it cuts pretty hard. (laughs) You need, you need sunscreen, really good hat and, uh, usually something around your neck.
2: Yeah. All right. Let's round this off with a story that had to been there
3: to believe. (laughs) I got a few, but, um, I gotta say the one that, always sticks with me. We were on this lake. We were in the Camloops area. I could name the lake, but it's kind of small, so I, I, I'm not going to, but um, there's some nice fish in this lake, and it's a nasty road getting in there, and we got in there, and there was mosquitoes the size of pie plates everywhere. It was just, it was a gong show just getting in, but once you got on the water, you calm down. My buddy gets into this fish, and it's, it's a nice, safe pound and a half maybe two pounds max uh rainbow it's jumping out of the water and he's all excited because we didn't really know that there were fish in this lake to be quite honest we heard there was so we're on this lake it's a small lake and all of a sudden his line just goes and i look over at him he's like it's huge it's huge and i'm thinking no it's not huge because i just saw it jump and it might be a pound and a half and the next thing you see this loom surface with his fish right so he's pulling on he's pulling on the on the line and the poor loon his head's going forward it's like a little tug of war and i'm thinking oh boy this is going to be good then from out of nowhere this osprey dives on the loon and it's trying to take the fish from the loon and we were laughing so hard because my buddy he, he didn't know what to do. He's trying to get the line out of the, uh, he's trying to get the hook back out of the fish so the loon can have the fish and then the Osprey's bomb. It was just like a, I wish I had a camera then. It was like kind of before cell phones were, you know, well, they didn't have cameras, you know what I mean? You had your cell phone, but you couldn't be taking any pictures with it. And, uh, I just never forget it. We were laughing so hard at this And, and eventually, the uh the loon won out the osprey gave up and uh he lost the fish and he got he got a nice straight hook back as a reward but i'll never forget that it was just like i had you had to see it to believe it
2: that's pretty crazy where can listeners of my podcast that haven't listened to your podcast yet find you to listen and your social media and anything else
3: yeah, well, thanks for asking. I I appreciate it, and thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. Um, just fly fishing ninety seven podcast. So basically, on Instagram, fly fishing ninety seven podcast. You can link to the show through the bio. I mean, like you, it's it's everywhere. It's on uh, it's on I'm through SoundCloud, but you can find it on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts. You'll find it anywhere you find uh, your favorite podcasts.
2: All right, Mr. Mark, thank you for joining us tonight.
3: Rob, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate it, and, and we'll have to catch up again in the, in the near future. Right on, dude. I'll drive out there.
2: Or we'll meet halfway, <laughs> like in uh, Wyoming. Br- bring the meat sweats. Yes. <laughs> All
1: right. Thank you for joining us for the Fly Fishing Consultant Podcast. For more information or to contact Rob, please go to www.robsnowwhite.com. This podcast is brought to you by Freestone Productions at freestoneproductions.com.
0: In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his thrift? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday,
4: May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern, presented by Abyss Battery, Waypoint TV.